0: So I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to kind of share some characteristics or qualities about what life could look like. And and I want you to think through these and say, is this what I would like my life to look like? Here's the first one. Would you like when the storms of life come to you, and we all have the storms of life, would you like it when the storms of life come to you and they don't totally knock you down? Because I think sometimes things happen to us and they just knock us out, put us down for the hand. Would you like for them to have less of just a devastating effect on your life? Or how about this? Would you like to have a genuine love for people? Not the kind that you kind of fake it and grit your teeth and say, hi, but would you like to have a love for people that flows from a heart that you really care about them? Or how about this? Would you like to be able to see and identify truth? That when you hear something that's not quite right, that isn't accurate, that you don't get sucked in and deceived by it and buy into a lie that our society tells us, but that you can see truth and error for what it is. Or how about this? Would you like to wake up every day and be excited about living your life because you have a purpose to live for that is greater than yourself. And every day you wake up and it's, oh, it's Monday, oh, it's Tuesday, oh, it's Saturday, oh, it's whatever day, that you would wake up and be excited about the mission and purpose that's in front of you for that day. I think all of us would like that. All of us would like to live and have lives that are reflected by those characteristics and qualities. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to talk about how do we get there from wherever we are right now. And we're going to talk about how do we have a life that is represented by those few things that I talked about. But it's not going to happen by 1 o'clock this afternoon or by tomorrow or next week or even next month. But if you will put into practice what we're going to talk about this morning, over time you will see those character qualities, that outlook in life, be more and more reflected in your life. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we have this opportunity to look into your scriptures, to look into the Bible, and see what it means for us in our lives. Lord, give us the insights that we need in terms of the next steps that you want us to take in our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we are in week three of a sermon series titled uh, Church Shopping, and uh, if you haven't been here the first uh, couple of weeks of this, I want to kind of bring you up to speed, let you know what this series is about real quick. And the idea behind this series is that the church was established by Jesus. The church was not man's idea, it was not an idea of the 20th century, the 21st century, the 15th century, the 12th century, that the church was Jesus' idea. And Jesus said this when he established the church. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That God in His design, Jesus in His design, wanted the church to thrive. And so, when we go looking for a church, we're all looking for kind of different things. We say, you know, I want a church that uh, is this size, Or I want a church that has this kind of music. Or I want a church that has that sort of programming for my kids. Or I want a church that has this programming that offers to me. And while we have those ideas in mind about what we're looking for, the fact is that Jesus, in the way that he has designed the church, there's no one size fits all. There's no one way to do church But there are some essentials that Jesus wants to have a part of every single church. And these elements, these essentials could be a part of a church that's 50 people or a church that's 5,000 people. These things could be a part of a church that has organ music or screaming guitars or drums or no instruments at all. But what we're doing over the course of this series, we're saying, what are the things that Jesus said, this is what the church is to be about? And so the message this morning is titled this, it's discipleship that grows me, discipleship that grows me. And before we get too far into this idea of, or into the message, I want us to first define discipleship. What does it mean? Because it can mean different things to different people. I remember there was a period in my life where people said, discipleship is one-on-one. It's one guy meeting one-on-one every week with another guy, or one woman with another woman. That's discipleship. Well, that may be part of discipleship, but that's way too narrow of a definition of discipleship. The word discipleship comes from obviously from the Bible. But Jesus had disciples. And so there were 12 disciples that followed Jesus around. But here's the thing, and this helps us to understand discipleship, is that the 12 disciples that followed Jesus, those were not the only disciples at the time in the era that Jesus lived. That all of the rabbis, or most of the rabbis, would have had disciples. And they were men that wanted to be like the rabbi. Those outside of the Jewish faith would have had disciples. There would have been teachers and philosophers, and they would have had disciples, and they were teaching them to become like themselves. And so Jesus invites these 12 guys to be his disciples, and their desire was that they wanted to be like Jesus. And so that's the term that's used very, very frequently in the New Testament is disciple. It's used 269 times in the New Testament, the word disciple or some form of it. But yet the word Christian, which is kind of the word that we use, is only found three times in the whole Bible. And and the reason I share that is that I want us to understand that discipleship is about becoming more like Christ. And so that's our definition. Discipleship is the process of becoming more like Christ. And that was true in the book of Acts, in the New Testament believers, and that's true for us. That discipleship is when we become more and more like Christ. And I do want to speak to just some folks who are here. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're kind of investigating faith, you're trying to figure out what this whole thing is about, kind of checking out River Ridge, checking out faith, I want you to say... Keep checking it out. Keep understanding. Keep learning. And at some point, our prayer for you is that you would step over the line of faith. And at that point, you become a disciple. You become a person that says, I want to be, I want my life to look like the life of Christ. Because as we look at Jesus, he had a certain way of living. He had a certain way of loving people. He had a certain way of caring for people. He had a certain way of teaching people, and on and on the list goes of ways that we can be like Jesus. And so that list that I shared at the beginning about the storms of life come and they don't affect us so much, about having genuine love, about a mission and a purpose bigger than ourselves, about not buying into the lies. If you think about Jesus, every part of his life, that was true. All those things that we desire in our own lives, those were all true about Jesus. Did storms happen to him? Did tough stuff happen? Yeah. Did it affect him? Yeah, it did. But it didn't knock him over or knock him out. And he recognized false teaching for what it was. And so when we say, I want to become like Christ, we're saying, I want to be in this process, this journey of discipleship. And so the question is, how does that happen? How do we become more like Jesus? I mean, is that my responsibility as the pastor to make sure all of you act like Jesus? Is that the responsibility of all of us in this room? Is that God's responsibility to change your life? Is that your responsibility to become more like Jesus? How does discipleship happen? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And we're going to do it. We're going to look in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you brought your Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, uh, take out your phone. That's totally fine. And uh, open the Riverage app or open a Bible app that you have on your phone. Uh, Because we're just going to go through seven verses. We're going to dig really deep into these seven verses. And I really want you to have a Bible out so that you can read along and follow along and see what I'm saying and see how it fits. So we're going to go through Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, kind of line by line, verse by verse, phrase by phrase. Uh, and then at the very end, I'm going to talk just briefly about River Ridge and how does this discipleship process work at River Ridge Church. So Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, it says this. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So here's the first thing I want you to do, and I'm going to highlight some phrases and words as we go, but I want you to underline or highlight the phrase building up. It's close to the end building up or building up the body of Christ. Because what we're going to see over these few verses is there is a theme of constant momentum or of constant growth into becoming more mature, into becoming older, into building up. If we look just briefly at the next couple of verses, verse 12, it says to mature manhood. Verse 14, no longer children. Verse 15, it says we are to grow up. Verse 16, it says the body grows up so that. So there's this whole theme of growing up. And I want us to understand that that's why I would pick this passage because discipleship is about growing to become mature, growing to become more like Christ. And so he starts here with these five gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. These are gifts that people have. Apostle is this gift of people who further the work, who expand, who start new ministries. Prophet is those who speak the truth, even though it may not be popular. Evangelist is those who share the faith and train others to share their faith. Shepherd is those who care for other people. And then a teacher is the person who teaches the Word of God, maybe up front or maybe in a small group dynamic. But here's what I want to say is if you are in a leadership position in the church in any capacity, You have one or more of these gifts. If you are a Ridge Group leader, a men's group leader, a women's group leader, if you're involved with the leadership of Celebrate Recovery, if you're involved with the leadership of MOPs, if you're involved with leading a group of high school kids, if you're involved with leading elementary kids, if you are involved in leadership in any way, in any capacity, you have one or more of these gifts. And the reason that you have one or more of these gifts is because of what it says. To equip the saints and to build up the body of Christ. That God has equipped you with these things so that you can pour into other people. Now, I also want to point out what this doesn't say, okay? This doesn't say the pastor is to equip the saints and build everybody up. It all falls on the pastor. It doesn't say it all falls on the staff. You see, this is a general thing. This is to the church leaders. And God is using all different types of people, not just the pastors, not just the staff, but tons of volunteers in this process. And so we put it this way, is that discipleship happens when leaders invest in the lives of others. Discipleship happens when leaders invest in the lives of others. One of the first home groups that I was in was at Chestnut Ridge Church up in Morgantown. And it was led by this couple, Doug and Becky Drevitz. And uh, they weren't professional Christians. You know, they both had regular type of jobs. She was a stay-at-home mom, and then she was a nurse after that. But Doug and Becky Drevis led this home group that Stacy and I were in. And so they would just open up their home once a week, and we would come, and we would study God's Word. We'd read the Bible. We'd share a passage. We'd pray for each other. We'd encourage each other. Sometimes we'd share a meal together. But there was this great time of being together. But in the course of this home group, Doug and Becky Poured into Stacy and my life, and shared tips about life and living and parenting and all this kind of stuff. And there was one conversation that I remember very vividly. <clears throat> and when we first started their their group, Emily, our daughter, was just a, a little infant, and uh, and then she was getting older, and we were getting to the point where we were starting to think about school, and we were trying to think: should we put our should we put Emily in Uh, you know, should we homeschool her? Should we put her in a private school? Should we put her in a public school? Should we put her in a Christian school? And so we're sitting around after home group one night, and we decide, let's ask Doug and Becky what they think, because they were really old. They were like 35 or something like that. I mean, they were like ancient. Their kids were really old. They were like in second and third grade at the time. And so, but I remember I asked them about this, and we were kind of fretting about it. We were beginning to get a little anxiety, like, gosh, what do we do with Emily? Where do we put her? And I'll never forget the words as we're sitting around talking that Becky said to us. And she said, Matt and Stacy, you guys are going to be great parents. And it doesn't matter where your kids go to school because you are going to be the biggest influence on their lives. Not where they go to school, but you as their parents. And that was so freeing about this decision as far as where do we send our kids But it was also kind of put a a good, healthy weight of encouragement on us to say, we are responsible for raising our kids. And every person in here who's a parent, you are a leader. That God has given you the responsibility to disciple your child, to disciple your children. And if you lead in any capacity as part of River Church, that God has given you this responsibility to invest your life in other people to help them grow, to become more like Christ. So Paul continues on in verse 13. says this, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ, So in this verse, what Paul really is doing here is he's laying out and saying, this is what maturity looks like. As you grow, as you mature, as you become more like Christ, this is what it will look like. You'll have unity in the faith. You'll get along better with those who are also believers. It says, uh, you'll have a knowledge of the Son of God. Not just knowing things about Christ, but knowing Christ himself. And he says that you'll have the full, uh, the measure of the, excuse me, the measure of the, oh, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, Christ will be formed in you as you grow. He's saying this is what you're shooting for. Then it continues on, verse fourteen. And by the way, like I'm not supposed to have favorites as a pastor, but verse fourteen, this is my favorite part of this passage. So if it's not your favorite, too bad for you. It will be. No, you pick your own favorite. You latch on away, but I I love this verse. So it says this. It says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. You know, we didn't plan this, God orchestrated this, but earlier in the service, Scott talked about how we have the storms of life. Here, they're referred to as the waves that kind of sweep through the difficult stuff of life. And if you're here this morning and you have a heartbeat, you face the storms of life, don't you? You face marriage stuff. You face face parenting stuff. You face financial difficulties. You face trouble with your job. You face just junk on the inside that you can't get rid of. You face addictions. You face, I mean, family relationships, all kinds of stuff. All of us face these hardships and difficulties of life. But the question is, how do we deal with them? Do they come along and totally wreck us and destroy us? Or do they come along and we're able to get through them? And you see, what this passage says is that those who are like children, young in their faith, are rocked to and fro by the waves that come along. And it goes into some verses here, some phrases, a couple phrases I want to highlight for you. It says that the reason that we have, the reason that we're immature is because of some things that happen, right? One of them it says... Uh, we are cared about by every wind of doctrine. You see, if we don't have right doctrine, if we don't have a right way of looking at God, then the storms of life are going to rock us and knock us down. But if we have a good understanding of who God is and a good understanding of doctrine, how He works, then we survive the storms. If we don't understand the sovereignty of God, that all things are in his power, when the storms of life come, it's going to knock us down. You know, if we don't understand God and and what he wants for us, if we misunderstand that, it's going to mess with us. If we think mistakenly, this is wrong doctrine, if we think, you know, what God's main goal is to make me happy in my life, if that's our view of God, we're going to get knocked out. You see, when we understand who God is, when our doctrine is right, then we're able to persevere in the storms of life. Another little phrase in here, it says, um, that we carried away or that waves toss us to and fro by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And uh, I did a little bit deeper looking, kind of looked a little bit harder at this word, cunning. And it was fascinating to see kind of the history behind this uh, Greek word. It's the word kubaya, uh, and it means cube, and it relates to uh, games of dice, right? And uh, and my my friend John Slicer did a little magic show for us a couple weeks ago, and he talked about how there's this game called Three Card Monty, where they flip cards around, you try and pick the one, but they always trick you to picking the wrong one. Or maybe you've seen like the shell game, where they roll a shell, or a ball between shells, you have to try and figure out which shell the ball is under. You know those kind of games? And these are all sleight of hand games, where somebody is trying to trick you out of money. And so what Paul is doing is he's referring to that when he talks about this word cunning. He's saying that there's this trickery that the world gives. There's this trickery, this deception that people give. And when we buy into this deception of the world, then when the storms of life come, we're rocked because we don't have the right footing to stand on. You know, the world will tell us lies like, if you had more money, you'd be happier. Well, that's a lie of the world. That's a deceit of the world. The world tells us that lust is kind of the same thing as love. If you have lust, then you get to love, and that's a lie of the world. they are different types of things. You know, the world will tell us that if you're in a hard marriage, it's the other person's fault. If they would just fix themselves, then the marriage would be good. The world tells us, hey, everybody's doing it. If everybody's doing it, it's not a big deal. Everybody cheats on tests just go ahead and cheat. It's not a big deal. You see, those are the things, the, deceit, the deception, the cunning that we fall into. But when we don't fall to them, then we withstand the waves of life. About, gosh, it's probably been 18 years ago. My mom and dad took us to Alaska on this great Alaskan vacation. And for part of the trip, we were on this yacht type of thing. It was about a 60-foot yacht that slept, I think, 8 or 12 of us. And one night, we're docked overnight on this, uh, you know, kind of on this pier, And in the middle of the night, I get woken up because the boat is just twisting and turning. It's getting tossed, like it says here, it's getting tossed to and fro. It's just banging everywhere. I mean, just huge waves are rocking the boat. And I have no idea what's going on. And you know, when you wake up in the middle of the night, you're kind of in this fog. You're like, is this a dream? What is going on? And then they're getting tossed around. And so, I I mean, I'm like, everything went through my mind. I'm like, Maybe there's pirates on board. Maybe that's where it is. You know, I'm like, maybe there's a tsunami. Maybe there's an earthquake. Maybe, I, I have no idea what's going on. So I go up on deck to figure out what's going on. And this, these waves are so big that it has woken every single person on the boat up. And all of us are up there on deck on what is going on. Well, it also woke the ship captain up. And we said, what's going on? And there are these huge waves that just kept rolling in. And he said, the reason is, is over the horizon, which we couldn't see. It was kind of dark, so we couldn't see that far. But he said, where you can't see, there's a cruise ship, one of those princess cruise ships that has gone by. And it throws this huge wake. And so we're in this 60-foot boat, and we are just getting pummeled by this waves, getting tossed to and fro. And that scene from my own life when it crossed paths with this passage, brings it to light in so many ways. Because you see, we were this pretty small boat getting tossed to and fro. But if we had been a big cruise ship, if we had been an ocean liner, then we wouldn't have been tossed to and fro, would we? That the waves would have hit the boat, it would have rocked it a little bit, but it wouldn't have pitched it and thrown it like it did. And so, as I think about my own life, as I think about maturity, and I have this kind of phrase that goes through my brain, and this is kind of wacky matte stuff. You can use it if you want, but I think I want to grow up and be a big boat for Jesus. That's what I want to do, right? A big boat for Jesus, because if I'm a big boat for Jesus, then the waves of life that are definitely going to happen to all of us Aren't gonna rock my world as much. They're not gonna cripple me as much. I'll be able to get through them because I have grown up so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning. That's what we're after. So here's how I put it discipleship happens when we understand and live in the truth. Discipleship happens when we understand and live in the truth. Let's look at the next verse, verse 15. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now, I want you to notice a word here. It's a very small word. It's the word we. We. And it's that word is throughout this entire passage. It says we this, we that. Paul doesn't say I, he doesn't say you. He says we, because he understands that discipleship, growing up is a we process, that we need other people. He has this phrase in here. He says, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way. That what we do is we speak the truth in love to one another. And you see, there's a lot of verses in the Bible that are what we sometimes call the one another verses. It says, love one another, encourage one another, care for one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds, pray for one another, comfort one another. There's this whole list of one another verses. One of them is speak the truth and love to one another. And here's the thing is, we can't do these one another verses with the 300 people in this room with the 700 people at River Ridge Church. We can't do the one another verses that way. It's too big of a group. The guy over here, he doesn't know how to pray for the guy over here. The woman sitting over here, she doesn't even know how to come for the one over here because she doesn't know her. And so that's why community happens in small groups. That's why we talk about ridge groups. Because we want to practice and put into practice these words of love one another speak the truth in love, encourage one another, challenge one another, comfort one another. And it can't happen in a group this size. It has to happen in small groups. And so we say this, discipleship happens when we are in community. Discipleship happens when we are in community. I want to read to you um, someone's kind of thoughts about being in community And maybe you're here this morning, and you've heard us talk about Ridge Groups, and you're like, I'm not sure I want to go with a bunch of strangers. I'm not sure I want to go do this or not. And I realize that there's that apprehension that a lot of folks have. But listen to one person's reflection, and maybe this will help to nudge you to give it a try. She writes this, I've been at River Ridge Church for almost eight years now. In eight years, I've dabbled in a small group here and there, but none ever stuck. In other words, I haven't let them stick. Back in August, when many small groups revved up again, I looked over the list to see if any fit my schedule. One almost could, but my life got in the way. The excuses were made time and again. Everything pulls at us. The enemy delights in that. This week, I decided to make the plunge and go to group. And then kind of in parentheses, she says, God also helped me because everything else was canceled that day because of the snow. And so I went. But as I was getting out of my car, one last pull happened to keep me away from going to this group. I fell. And not just any fall, this was a Tom and Jerry cartoon like fall. My first thought was to crawl back into the car and go home, but I didn't. Hashtag not today, Satan. I walked in, and there were people, lots of people, people I didn't know, and I was wet and hurting. There were like 75 people. Okay, there were only 15. (laughs) And she says this. She said, I only knew a few of them, and of those few, only one really knew my stuff. Ugh. For the next hour and a half, I think I said 10 syllables, but I was there, one foot in front of the other. I didn't have the study book. I didn't have a pen. I didn't even bring my Bible, but I was there, and God willing, I'll make it next week, too. If you're not in a group, get in a group. It's where discipleship happens when we are in community with one another. Wanna to read to you one last verse, verse 16. It says, from the whole body, it says from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Has this phrase here? Says, the body, excuse me, it says, when each part of the body is working properly, it makes the body grow. You see, what happens is when each part of the body is working right. And that's us. We are the body of Christ. When each of us is working properly, then the body of Christ is built up. And it says it's built up in love. And so I ask you this question. What role are you playing? Or are you working properly in the body of Christ? Are you serving somewhere in the body of Christ? Because discipleship happens when we serve. Discipleship happens when we serve. And it happens in two ways. One is it helps other people because they grow spiritually, but it also helps us when we serve because it helps us to grow spiritually. You know what's, what's interesting about this passage is it says, uh, and it's just a small word, it says, so that it builds itself up in love. It says it. The body is built up because of one another. It doesn't say, and God builds up the body in love. Now, it does say that other places. It's a both and. But it's an understanding that we have a responsibility to ourselves to grow and build this body up in love. And if you're not serving, then it's sort of asking the opposite question here. I mean, it says in, in the positive way, it says when each part is working properly, makes the body grow and it builds up in love. Well, what if each part of the body isn't working? What if some folks are not doing what God is asking them to do? Well, then the body suffers. The body doesn't grow. And the body isn't built up in love. This week at our staff meeting, we were talking about some of the different needs at, at River Ridge Church and so forth. And then as I come to this passage, I realize that these two things are connected. That there are some people, and I don't know if this is you or by the people in the first service, but you're not doing what God wants you to do. And as a result, kids suffer. That for our preschool ministry, it takes 20 teachers to make preschool happen. But we only have 16 of them. And so what happens to those other kids that aren't getting cared for? We we lock them up in a room and just hope they survive and throw some (laughs) Doritos and cheese and those fish at them, you know? Cheddar fish, that's great. Goldfish, no, we don't do that. But here's what does happen, is instead of having a group of preschoolers that should be about 8 or 10, is we have a group that's about 12 or 15, and they're not being built up the way that they could or the way that they should. Or we have teachers who do double duty. They serve more often than they want to and really more often than we want them to and they get burned out and the body isn't built up like it should. And the same is true with our elementary ministry. There's a couple of openings there where, again, we're kind of trying to piece it together week to week. We're making groups bigger than we want them to be or asking somebody to serve in in two different capacities. And I share that with you because I believe that God is laying it on some folks' hearts this morning that God wants you to step up and say, I haven't been doing what God wants me to do. I'm not working properly in the body of Christ. And today is the day I'm gonna start doing that. And maybe it's in preschool or maybe it's with our elementary kids. Maybe it's in coffee or parking or worship or whatever it is, but that God is calling you to do your part. Why? So that the body can be built up in love. I realize I'm just a couple minutes over. I'm going to wrap it up pretty quick. I want to um, just conclude by talking about what is, how does this happen at River Ridge Church? And so there's a diagram that we use to talk about the discipleship process. It looks like this. It's that we connect with God on Sunday morning, but we also connect with God throughout the week in terms of having a quiet time, having a daily devotional. That we grow in community. We want to be in a community group Maybe that's MOPS, maybe that's Celebrate Recovery, maybe it's a men's group, a home group, a women's group, whatever it is, a student group, we want to be in community and then we want to serve. And when those things happen, we will grow spiritually. That is our process for how to have discipleship, how individuals grow at River Ridge Church. And so I want to finish by speaking to four different groups of people. The first group of people is this is if you're not connecting with God on your own throughout the week in terms of having a quiet time, meaning reading God's word and praying, here's what I want you to do. Uh, We've got a book here. It's called My First 30 Quiet Times. We've got a bunch of them. It'll be out at the home group kiosk out there. Just come by and pick one up. And basically it's just 30 days getting you in the scripture, asking you some questions to get you started. So if you've never had a quiet time, you're trying to figure out how to do that, grab one of these. If you're not in a group, get in a group. If you want help getting in one, Kim and I, our Connections Director, she and I will be out there at the home group kiosk. Come find us. We'll point you to the right group. We'll give you a list of groups that are open that need folks in them. But come be a part of that. That's the step for you. Here's the third group of people. Is if you're not serving and you're saying, you know what? I'm not part of building up the body of Christ. I'm not working properly then let us know that you want to serve. And in the seat back in front of you, there's these little connect cards on the back of it. It says next, and it just says, I'm ready to take the next step, serving at River Church. Check that off. Kim will contact you and let you know, hey, here's some places, find out what your interests and needs are, and we will get you plugged in. want to take the last final minute and talk to one uh, group of people. This is the group of people that you're doing these three things. You're coming on Sundays, you're having a quiet time, you're in a group and you're serving, but you still feel kind of stagnant. You feel like I'm doing these three things, but I'm not really growing spiritually. I've kind of hit a plateau. And if that's you, here's what I want to invite you into or challenge you to do, is to start leading Because I think, and this is kind of just my take on things, but I think we can only go so far with serving, with being in a group, and with having a quiet time. That there comes a point in time to really grow to that next level that we need to lead. Because leading is hard. Leading people is hard. Leading ministries is hard. It causes you to trust God. It causes you to pray. Leading causes you to get out of your comfort zone. And those are the things that you need to get you out of that kind of stagnation to go to this next level of spiritual growth to become more and more like Christ. You know, I'm gonna do everything that I can as your pastor to help disciple you, to help you take steps But I can't take steps for you. I can't make you do anything. I can present information. I can encourage you, inspire you, whatever it is. I can make jokes. I can be mean. I can do whatever it takes. I'll do all, I'll guilt you, whatever it takes, right? But ultimately, you need to own your faith. You need to own it. And you need to say, the next step that I need to take to become more like Christ is And then you take that step. And so I leave the ball in your court. I leave the responsibility for the next step in your court this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you that you have called us to be your disciples, which means we're going to become more and more like you each day, each week, each month, each year. God, show us the steps that you want us to take that we might become more like you.